0: Every conversation has the potential to devolve into an argument where our politicians can't speak to one another and where even the most trivial of issues have someone fighting both passionately for it and against it. It's not normal. And the important thing to remember is that this simulation is a good one. Wisdom
1: and learning comes from observing the world around us. A transformation means nothing of the past will remain, which is what is needed today if you want to create a
0: new world. Socrates tells us that the only definition of being educated, let alone learned, is to begin to understand how little you know. Welcome.
2: Welcome. Welcome to Off Days. Off Days. Off Days. Welcome to the Off Days podcast. I'm your host, PJ. With me, as always, is my co host, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing today? Doing quite well, quite well. Thank you, PJ. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic to have you here with me. Um, Unfortunately, Bridget will not be joining us for this episode of the Off Days podcast, although she's not uh, leaving the Off Days podcast entirely. And in her stead today, we're happy to have joining us Jake, our friend Jake. Jake, welcome to the Off Days podcast. Hey, thanks for using the word friend. It means a lot. Yeah, well, let's hope it remains that way. As we engage upon this uh, fun discourse, so Jake is a friend that uh, Bridget and I met in college, and actually Patrick and Jake have never met in human form. Uh, no, no, we have not. Which is which is only going to add to the interest and the intrigue of this
0: podcast. But we know what each other looks like. Yes, we do. Right, thanks.
1: We've to seen Facebook, each other.
0: Yep. yeah. Okay.
1: We can put a voice to a face. Right. Name to a face.
2: Well, it's been a long time since we did our last podcast, and that's largely because of technical errors and also just uh, life getting in the way of things. And uh, it hasn't been for lack of trying, that's for sure. But we're glad to be back on the horse and dusted ourselves off, and we're we're back here. And um, uh, one of the things that I wanted to start off right away talking about is this really interesting new virus that I recently learned about and i'm sure you're all familiar with viruses people debate whether they are living or not i think they're living although we can have a huge debate about that that's that's my personal opinion yeah huh even though they were they rely upon other organisms to replicate i
0: think that they're actually living
1: but i would call them acellular personally
0: yeah well well i mean does it does it really does it matter that much to? oh yeah i guess everyone
1: can have their own opinion climate change so yeah pj you were saying
2: Right. Well, we can go into what defines something as living or non-living, but um, this particular virus uh, is known to infect algae. So basically single-celled protists, photosynthetic protists, pretty much. Uh, And it's called chlorovirus, C-H-L-O-R-O virus. And the particular designation is ATCV-1. And uh, it's a huge virus. I mean, about half the size of an E. coli molecule, or E. coli cell, I should say. Uh, so if you know anything about this, the scale of viruses, this is just a huge, huge virus. Um, I mean, absolutely massive. And, uh, what they did was they, they didn't realize that these giant viruses are actually, they're actually termed gyruses now. That's like one of the words that they used. I'm not joking. That's, that's the neologism they're using. They say gyruses. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Anyway, so they found these, uh, gyruses in in algae, and then they decided to see what effect they might have on mice. And, um... The effect they had on mice was that it reduced cognitive function significantly. Mm-hmm. The, the mice were severely impaired uh, in their ability to navigate a maze, and so this, of course, raised concerns about you know to what extent would one find uh, this virus in humans, and then what effect is this is this virus having on human brains? All right, So they took uh, ninety-two individuals. Uh, I guess randomly selected. And they found that 43.5% of 92 individuals had the presence of this virus's DNA in their oral pharyngeal uh, samples. And, you know, it's really concerning that it's making people concerned that human cognitive functioning could be affected by microbes that, you know, we previously didn't know exist. The thing I'm concerned about is culpability. You know, like how, how once we learn more and more about the microbial factors and all the other factors that are affecting someone's behavior or someone's ability to learn something new, you know, it seems like it's more and more difficult to put someone or to blame someone for what
0: they do or what happens to them. You know, like oh, that's interesting. You know I, what I'm saying? I'm are you are you heading on purpose towards a discussion of free will?
2: I I mean <laughs> Yes. Oh, sorry, that,
1: that's a serious question. Well, yeah. I'm sure you know about toxoplasma.
2: I'm familiar with toxoplasma gondii, yeah. And I mean, I can do a quick rundown of toxoplasma if you...
1: Well, I mean, if you want for our listeners.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, if you're not familiar with toxoplasma or toxoplasma gondii, it causes toxoplasmosis in humans. And that's a disease which it can be both congenital and also, um, you know, systemic and acute. But it causes a necrotic spot on your retina. Uh, If you have it pretty bad and the interesting thing about it is that it's not a bacteria. It's not a fungi It's a protozoan and it has a multiple host life cycle So it completes its life cycle in mice and then in cats and then in humans But the way that it gets from mice to cats is that it it changes the neurochemistry of the mouse to be less inhibited So that it's more likely to be eaten by the cat because a less inhibited mouse will be less likely to hide or or be afraid It
1: actually makes the mouse attracted to uh, the smell of cat urine.
2: Oh has that been proven now?
1: Well, I don't know if it's been proven, but that's what's been suggested. Oh, okay. I thought it was but
2: just they were, you know.
1: We all know, you know, a cat exact thing want to avoid.
2: Certainly, certainly, yeah. So that's really concerning.
1: But, but anyway, so it, it's in humans. We know that, and it's also been suggested, but not proven, that humans who have toxoplasma in their system have lower fine motor skills and are more likely to get into car accidents. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is. You know, it's not the first time that it's suggested that's microbial could possibly control or alter human behavior. Yeah,
2: human behavior. Yeah, which brings one to a series of philosophical questions that have no choice but to collide with uh, zombies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, okay, so so which definition of zombie are you working with? Are we doing the walking dead or are we doing the I was World thinking War Z. the the last of us zombies personally? I don't know if you ever played The Last of Us. So, in psychology, there's, you know, zombie is a legitimate term, and it means something a bit different than staggering around as a, as a living undead. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I the idea that something could be dead and moving around is... Well, I don't mean dead, though. It um, This means someone who is, um, let's see, it, the simplest definition is uh, someone who is not conscious. Oh, right. Um, but is acting as if they were conscious, and it would be pretty much impossible to determine whether or not they were that that comes back into the free will discussion. Yeah. I sorry, I feel like I'm pushing you into that. I don't want.
2: No, no, I, I do want to go into the free will discussion because that's what this entire thing is about. I, I'm trying to wonder like how much of what we do or what we see people do that it seems inexplicable when they do it is completely the result of the microbial community that exists within them. That's something that I'm really concerned about, and I I think that people need to do more research on on people who are homeless and people who have been seemingly stuck in uh, seriously impoverished or poor so- socioeconomic conditions and-, and find out what sort of microbial communities exist in those people compared to people who are canonically successful. And then maybe then you can draw some you know, actual parallels between healthy microbes and healthy people and-, and also healthy behavior in certain microbes. The thing
1: that makes me think about, PJ, is you know these cycles of abuse where you know, some kids have been abused, and what's the thing that comes up next is they have kids. They're more likely to abuse them. Right. So, at what point do you say, okay, we know you were abused, but still, that doesn't quite let you off the hook for abusing your kids. Right. Does yeah. that make sense? Right. Uh, the connection that I kind of thought of when you,
2: I think I know what you um, what you mean. I, I think that also, like, if you look at the brains, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Jake has seen these scans, brain scans. But if you look at like the like the brains of people who have been hurt. Uh, as children or beaten as children, they oftentimes have a severely impaired neural development, and they have right. they have a much higher like blood serum level of cortisol or other catecholamines that would would make them more stressed out all the time.
1: Two. What level of responsibility should we give an adult who harms a child who who himself or herself was abused as a child? Yeah, you know, or at what point do we say that also were they ended up didn't abuse their kids as well?
0: Well, do you mean? responsibility or culpability uh in the oh, event think, that
1: they then do that i think you should define that
0: me. um gosh i don't responsibility is <laughs> great when i say culpability i mean in a civil court whether or not this person is going to be punished to the extent of the law oh like that's what to me culpability kind of thing. means <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. well sure and then responsibility is um, giving someone privileges that are associated with um, estimated abilities that that individual is thought to have. It, does that does that make sense? So someone someone who you would say is responsible would um,
1: so I guess it'd be easier be more apt to fault someone for being culpable rather than responsible if this is kind of the route that we're taking
0: That's well that's how those terms, Uh, work in my head, at least. Yeah, I think
2: culpability is the only way we can speak about this in a way which makes sense just because... And it may be a distinction which doesn't
0: matter, you know, but I think that... Well, and so then... You can say, sure. The problem here is I'm tempted to to now go into a a discussion of the justice system and whether punishment is a a good thing. Um, Well, I mean, if you want to say that this person acted of their own accord and did this thing that we consider a crime, then yeah, they did do that and they're culpable. So how do we then um, eliminate them from the society, lock them up behind bars, or do we try and take more of a... Holistic, uh, holistic is the wrong word, if we step back a bit and take more of an approach of how do we spite this? Um,
2: yeah. Like, how, how, do you, how do you punish someone who has, who has you know, the, all these factors that are affecting yeah. their behavior? And I think maybe what I'm foreseeing well,
0: versus recuperation. Right.
2: Well, what I'm foreseeing, though, is like like, at one point, we're going to have a very complete understanding of the way that microbes affect our behavior, right? And or a semi-complete understanding. And so then when someone commits a crime, maybe there will be a biological analysis done of his gut microbiome, of his neurological uh, function and all these things. And then they'll consider, you know, to what extent did this person almost just decide to do this? Assuming free will is a thing, which people, some people don't think is. But, you know, to to what extent did this person decide this? And then to what extent did the microbes or or other uh, things inside this person's body influence their behavior? And then depending on the extent of the uh, intentionality outside of the, ba- the bacterial influence—that will be the level of punishment, right? That that you that, that will that will determine the level of punishment. So, like, you
0: see what I'm trying to say? So judges with doctorates in biology is what you're saying.
2: I think, yeah, or at least at least there's gonna have to be like a like a like a like a, like a department, you know, and the judge won't be able to make a sentence without. Without having a full understanding of what sort of microbes were influencing this person's body, you know? Like, oh, it wasn't his fault.
1: I'm sure you're familiar with there are genes that are linked to people with more aggressive behaviors. Right. People that commit violent c- crimes are more likely to have these two genes. Mm-hmm. So then at what point do we say, are they culpable or, or not? Which there are people that do have these genes that don't commit violent crimes as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, was, wasn't civilization, wasn't society invented in the first place to harbor only people who could function within it, right? I mean, that like tribes were supposed to function in in the past because teamwork worked, you know, and, and when, the, when these people who don't have a, have a function in society prove they don't have a function or prove they can't function, th- like, why are we trying to make it so that their genes remain in our gene pool, you know? And I, I, that goes into a eugenics path, which I often go down. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, pump the brakes a little. Bit. Well, but, but
0: let's, <laughs> as long as we all keep our heads, these are questions worth asking.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that people who have the genetic markers for aggressive behavior be euthanized, but like, oh, wait, that is what I'm, fuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe sterilize. maybe that. But, but PJ, my point again is, there are people that have these genetic markers that don't commit.
2: Right, of course, and I, I understand so no that...
1: Understand, Is that might be evidence or support supporting the fact that or argument that there might be free will?
2: Yeah. Well, I I think if anything, what it supports is the idea that the phenotype or the variance of the phenotype among a population can only be equal to the variance of the genetics plus the variance of the environment. Right. So you can't just think of the phenotype as a result of the genotype. The phenotype is a result of the environment interacting with the genotype. And also the way that the genes interact with themselves. Because genes influence other genes. And and so, like, you know, you can't just say because he has one gene here, he's going to be this. You have to look at a genome-wide approach. And, of course, we don't have really the computational methods to do that yet uh, in a successful way. So, yeah, of course, I'm not one to suggest that, like, uh, you know, we just genotype people and then murder them. I mean, like, I'm sure I have markers in my genome which are... Problematic, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I know that for a fact because I've done the whole thing. But yeah, and you have too, haven't you? Uh, yeah, Patrick? I
1: have. I have. And it was it was very interesting. I'm very glad that I did it.
0: Mm-hmm. What um what did that? So what did you learn? I don't even know a thing about that. Patrick.
1: Oh, so I have uh, as as PJ says, you can know, edit that. A higher amount of mono was it? Moa?
2: Yeah, monoamine oxidase. Oxidate. Yeah, or
1: which you, makes me more likely to get emotional about stupid.
2: Or you have, you have a dysfunctional monoamine oxidase on two genes, uh-huh. right, yeah. or on, yeah. on both yeah. both yeah. copies. Both copies of your monoamine oxidase are less functional than a normal human, so you have less of an ability to break down monoamines like serotonin and dopamine and other uh, monoamine analogs like that, like 5-HT.
1: And what does that and predispose me to? So it predisposes yeah.
2: you to a slight, slight lengthening of emotional experience as opposed to other people. Of uh, course, that happens to me sometimes. Yeah, it's so that's it's not something that's, like, terrible as long as you manage it, but some people, like, if you look at people with, you know, mood disorders like bipolar disorder, um, you know, you can draw a very high physical correlation between that genotype and people with uh, those behavioral disorders, you know, so. But, of course, you had a very stable upbringing, Patrick, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm not mm. I'm not <laughs> totally familiar with your childhood, but, like, I'm willing to bet that, like, you had a, relatively stable home life and good parents generally right and uh like you didn't get i would concur and uh so you know obviously like i said it has to do with both the environment and the
0: and the genes well okay so patrick um your response to um what pj was describing when you said something to the effect of yeah i agree with that that seems to make sense to me or something like that. I mean, that's the same way that I respond to horoscopes. Oh, right, So right. What, what do you I'll, mean? Uh, to what? I, I, I'm not saying that this is completely useless, but I'm saying I think your reaction to that fact is oh, much more I, than like, the fact you itself. see like
1: a, uh, yeah. like a personality um, test, vague, so they're, they're basically made
0: to, we well, but I'm not saying like, oh, that this, is that this is
2: insidious. I see serious. what you're saying, though, Jake. Like, you're trying to say that you're trying to call into question the legitimacy of these genomic tests, right? Because, like, yeah, all, Patrick no, only Patrick only understands his own experience. He can't, he can't compare his experience to my experience or someone else's experience with a different genotype. So he can't really say for sure whether the he has... The
0: legitimacy of using the results as a way to live your life. That's right. what I'm calling into
2: question. Yeah, no, I mean, I understand that. And I think the difference between a horoscope and, like, something like this is that... Not only do you have like, like it, the thing predicts your eye color, your, your wax type, the ability, your ability to metabolize certain drugs. You know, like, so there, there are all of these really good uh, proofs of, of, of concept that this is, is accurately describing you. But then on top of that, like you can- you Right, and I that.
1: wasn't using them at necessarily as a way to like, maybe prove that this is some way I act. When PJ told me this, it was, it was more of a, oh, that's right, that, uh, I do do that sometimes. But it didn't, I didn't use it as a, uh, What's the word? Excuse for?
2: Being oh
0: right, important. right, right,
1: uh, right. Right, but what I'm,
0: I'm looking for is for you to, to speak ago. much more, uh, much more freely about. Because uh. sure, it, it, so what is it, you know it, having that information? Have you changed anything about the way that you conduct your life? And I think that that would likely, if we look at statistically, changing your lifestyle, knowing these facts about yourself, which are just indicators of vague trends. That could still probably have a good effect on you. So, has that um, had an effect on you? And the same to you, uh, PJ. Mm -hmm.
1: No, it really didn't change how I approach things in my life.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think,
2: but the FDA thinks that this information is so dangerous because they're afraid that, just like you said, Jake, giving people information about these things, giving people information about risk factors they might have, like maybe, first, I have like one out of eight risk factors for a disease called hemochromatosis, right? So if I had eight more of the risk factors, I would definitely have hemochromatosis, but I only have one of the risk factors. So I don't have hemochromatosis, even though I maybe have like a slight uh, inability to handle iron in my metabolism as to, compared to you, right? But uh, the FDA thought that having this information would make people diagnose themselves with disease diseases and thereby increased healthcare costs, right? So of course they banned this, this health report stuff that we got before it got banned and that's Mm -hmm. just that's just the fda trying to save money and save face so uh you know it makes me sad that we live in a country where we can't have freedom of information but i also understand on the other hand of that they're just trying to save money which is dumb but the price of a democracy
0: if you want to be be especially um uh, generous towards the fda you could also say they're trying to prevent a gattaca situation have y'all seen have y'all seen gattaca I've seen Gattaca. Yeah. Have you seen Gattaca, Patrick? I haven't seen Gattaca. You're classic science fiction. You
2: gotta see it, dude. Also, maybe uh, what's that other movie? Soylent Green. Yeah. Oh right, uh, right, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. All um, good movies. So anyway, if you wanted to be really generous, you could say they were trying to do that. But um, sorry, yeah, I'm. We're, we're we're diverging. I wanted to um, just for all of our uh, just great listeners. I'm so glad that they're, <laughs> they're paying such apt attention. Um, I wanted to. Uh, backpedal a little bit and um, restate that we're not um, condoning, uh, you know, it, 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 looking at people's genomes and processing them and deciding um, who all, it, we're not condoning eugenics here, but I you're not. Against. I mean, I'm, what? Oh, I'm oh.
2: not
1: too. I would like to put that on record <laughs> that Patrick is not either.
2: Yeah, I'm not condoning eugenics either. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm making a joke about Eugenics. Nobody wants to do eugenics here.
0: No one. Well, but that's that's still... Um,
2: but it poses an interesting
0: philosophical question. I think that's why we're... Right, and, and why not? And if we... If, obvi- so we have reasons why not, but it seems to me the closer you get towards reliance on... Uh, re- Soul reliance on scientific facts and things that you've culled from... Uh, genetic data and things like that, the closer you get towards maybe a more productive society by the standards of whoever defines it, but also you get closer towards um, a less and, fair an society, hand. probably. Yeah. Sure. And and who wants to? I mean, I don't want to be the ant in an anthill. Even the queen has a bad time. Yeah. Like that. But I mean, there's lots of ants, man. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, that's so an, interesting. So you're it saying it that like there, like,
1: there's a healthy
0: amount of ignorance we should have uh possibly yeah there's there was a question raised by Daniel Dennett, which I've never heard treated fairly by anyone else, where he's saying could there be facts that are best unknown the idea that there are facts that it would be morally
2: uh wrong to divulge to the public All right hmm. uh yeah, i could and and also
1: in some cases yeah, that's true. But like, who's making those decisions, though?
0: Right.
2: It's just it just runs very contrary to what we have considered in the West to be the pinnacle of moral high ground, which is the freedom of information, right? But, right. But uh, of course, we have we all have secrets, you know, and
1: uh... which there are plenty of things that the C CIA and NSA, or yeah, as much people talk about, but there are things that they do withhold for the benefit right. of our society. That sounds idealistic, but. So, so the
0: the response to Sam Harris. What did Sam Harris say to that? He, he said, um, "You know, you're not going to release schematics to a to a dirty bomb uh, just across the whole world, right? Because that would be dangerous. But but Dennett's response is, well, let's say even in an ideal society where we don't have any crazies, even then, still, where everybody's interested in improving themselves via facts, you know, uh, look, how would there still be things?" That are, that are dangerous to be known? Um, it, it's it's a very open question, yeah. but that, it reminded me of that.
2: Well, I mean, and I don't think anything looks very cheery on that front, uh, given that, you know, they just passed that bill in Congress that's going to divulge all of our internet browsing history to the big internet companies can sell our browsing history now. So that's not great. And then also that ties in quite well with what we were just talking about, which is that you know, there's a possibility that this genetic information, which I foresee in the next ten years, everyone will have for themselves. It's the possibility that that information will be then fed to and sold to the healthcare insurance right. companies.
1: That was one small thing that kind of held me back from doing this. Okay, what are the chances that somewhere down the line, they see this data?
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's a very real and uh, sensible fear to have. Uh, anyway, interesting stuff, guys. Interesting stuff. We're gonna we're gonna move from this topic to a new one because I feel like we've talked about too much science. It just really hit people, hit our listeners with science right off the bat here. And uh, Patrick, Patrick, I feel like there's something which uh, maybe has been grinding your gears.
1: A couple weeks ago, I was on Facebook just as I usually do when I'm not working, and I have this cousin who has two daughters, one who's about four, and the other's about two, and she posts about them constantly. Which she's a proud mom. I mean, good for her. Yeah. I used to just be annoyed by the fact that parents posted an excessive amount of pictures for their kids, which I think there's a healthy amount to post and not to overdo it, but that's just my inclination as kind of a sassy diva that I am. Yeah. But the point is, this particular photo showed the two-year-old laying on her stomach and then the four-year-old was on top of the two-year-old in such a way that it looked like she was performing a sex act on a uh-huh. child.
2: huh. Only your and mind would come pops- to that, Patrick. But well, go on.
1: PJ, I'm gonna send you the photo. Right now. Please don't. Now. Please don't. Right now. You I tell don't, me. I don't I wanna. Would... No, no. Oh. If, if you think it's all innocent, let's see how innocent it is. Okay. All right. Okay, let's see Let's okay. see how innocent uh. this really is. All right. The point is Is
0: excited the wrong word? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It <laughs> is. Yes, God damn it. It is,
1: it is absolutely <laughs> that is very incorrect. Okay, so it...
2: So what what kind of repercussions?
1: I see this photo and I think, well, what the heck? Because your four-year-old can't really give you proper consent to post (laughs) pictures of her that she might deem inappropriate or embarrassing. And what if when she's 15, some bully pulls this up and starts showing their class or whatever the case may be? Hmm. And it turned from just being annoyed about excessive pictures about people's kids to a question of ethics and... You know, if you're not getting consent from your child, what's a fair amount of photos and appropriateness to post about your child? Because yeah. there are some parents that post pictures that kind of gives away their location, and God forbid, someone sees that information and uses that to, unfortunately, kidnap a child or do something awful That's to your true, child yeah. because you're posting in Appropriate amount of information about your kid.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you don't like, want but, a pedophile to, you know, become secretly attracted to your child, maybe don't put posts of your child on Facebook all over the place. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that pedophiles, you know, should be mitigated against actively, but uh, maybe they should actually. You know,
1: I, I, uh, I think they absolutely. personally, PJ. I think you should take every precaution. Yeah, to protect yeah. the safety of your child, right. but also. I'm finding this picture. okay. Well,
2: DJ, you... I, I mean, you know, this is pretty banal well, compared to there are a lot of things oh. we do. A lot of things we do to children without their consent, you know, uh, and yeah. one of them is you know cutting off the little end, little end <laughs> Here of we go. their Here we go. little end of their genitalia. And I'm not saying that that taking a picture. I, I actually no. I'm gonna I'm gonna go there and say taking a picture is nothing compared to genital mutilation. Okay, That's, I'm just gonna go ahead and make that leap
1: you know i should have known that (laughs) you were gonna this was the first thing that you were gonna go
0: oh come on like that's like saying that's like saying you know what uh, in the 80s or whatever let's not worry about all of the horrible racism in in america still when we have worse racism in south africa that's what you've just said it's the same argument come on man problems are problems oh man i really came hard man jay i mean wow.
1: I didn't see that yeah, coming. Yeah, I I really <laughs> I agree with what Jake. <laughs> hold on, so hold on, so hold on, hold on.
2: Okay, so but sorry. if we've got if we've got a genocide happening in Germany and there's some hungry people without enough tomatoes in Italy, I mean, where are you going to send the relief? You know, you got to send it to Germany. Same thing. Okay. I mean, I think it's the first thing we got to do is make sure that we aren't cutting people's genitalia up at at birth without consent, and then we can talk about the consent of taking
0: pictures that's that's just my inclination you feel free to just no, 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 the, the bigger problem um, uh, chickens are conscious, and with us killing all of them and eating them that's that's the greatest injustice in the world now if I were to really seriously make that point, <laughs> then that would trump anything you could say right because we're killing millions of them all I the time don't see the point what's i'm not I don't see how this so is it, it, you're using your own um, your your own frame of uh, of sense of justice to to just to to say whether or not we should be concerned with. But I'm I'm maintaining problems. I'm maintaining the, the the problem idea
2: problems. of children and consent though. I'm still within infants and consent, right? <laughs> I didn't talk about about you know the other problems we have in the world, but if we're talking about consent, I think that uh, that's one of the first things we need to consider.
1: <laughs> I, I got. You know, I really. I am sorry. So I'm sorry. I should have said. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this happened. (laughs) (laughs) I should have known better. I really should have.
0: I just I just think (laughs) if you if you bring up some injustice, a bad response is, "Well, this is worse." Right. No, I understand (laughs) what you're saying. I but like,
2: okay, if, if for instance Patrick had said something like, "Hey, chickens are somewhat conscious, and we're murdering them." I think it would be and then we I mean to stop, I think it would be a logical thing to say for you to be like, well cows are are even more capable of suffering and are conscious, and we kill more cows let's say let's say that was true. you're saying I've careened completely out of scope I, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're careening. You're careening. Um, okay, all right. It wasn't okay. supposed to be like this. Too. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry, Patrick. Was just,
1: I was just You're really just annoyed by all these right that I have on what, Facebook. What did that you expect, Patrick? Of,
2: what's that? What did you expect? How, how did you expect this to go?
1: You know what, You know what, It's my fault. It's my fault that I didn't think of before. Because, of course, PJ, the first thing he would come back with was, yeah, well, babies are circumcised. So... That's this one's on me. This one's on me, Jake. I'm sorry. This is your first.
2: Well, at least we're not. All right, Jake. Did you have some? Uh, did you have something you would like to talk about uh, this podcast? So
0: dismissive. You.
1: Ass. I mean,
2: <laughs> I just. But my point
1: is to any parent for the half dozen listeners that we have.
0: just Maybe think a about
1: What picture you're posting of your child, and whether or not your child would be okay with it? Because I do think it's a little wrong sometimes. That we do these things without our children's consent.
2: Okay, that's fair. That's fair, and I, I do agree with you. Hey, I sent it. Do you, have you looked at it? I uh, yeah. I'm ash- I'm ashamed to have looked at it. Jake, let's move on. He's very <laughs>
1: affected by this right now. I'm He's... not affected.
2: I uh, I'm unaffected. Children are a common part of humanity.
1: Their poses oh, or... looks very perverse.
2: Uh, this has gone so off I the rails. I don't think it's
1: appropriate. I don't. I think it's inappropriate. That a parent shared that photo without thinking of how it actually looks. Okay, would you agree, Jake?
2: I agree. Thank you. All right.
1: Well, you just had to bring up circumcision, <laughs> didn't you? I? Had Jake? to. I had did, to.
2: I mean, you d- did you? Did you? Well, did you? It's polarizing, and that's pretty much what we like it's to really do. It's really not. It's really not. It's polarizing in my world. You wish it was.
1: You wish it was more polarizing than. It's very polarizing. It's currently viewed. It's very right polarizing now as our society.
0: Let me just distance myself from, from Patrick, <laughs> with whom I've just become friends, and say that I agree with PJ on this uh, topic. Oh, so
2: it is polarizing. So polarizing. Now it's 2v1. Yeah. It was 1v2. Yeah, you know
1: what? There's a whole lot of other things going on in our country right now. Are you really <laughs> <gonna> worried about circumcision? There are chickens that aren't raised. You're careening, Patrick. You cannot tell me. You're careening. You tell me that non free range raised chickens who some have argued on this very podcast have a conscious are raised in cages (laughs) just to be killed. Is that that is what you're saying right now. Yeah. And I think I think that is an affront. Okay. That is an affront.
2: I like how this went from a conversation about free will and the culpability of human beings to just an absolute shit show. Um I am actually
1: enjoying (laughs) (laughs) I think Jake's a good fit.
2: Yeah. He's working pretty well.
1: I was a little, I was a little suspect at first.
0: Yeah, it's working out. You can tell by the, the deafening right. silence after all my great jokes.
2: All right, Jake. Uh, I feel like you have something you want to talk about. I really hope you do
0: anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I uh, I will preface this with uh, please don't roll your eyes at me too much because I had someone that I wanted to someone who was who is very important to me. Who I was talking to about this, and when I uh, when I I named the subject that I was tiptoeing, so they they rolled their eyes at me and thought it was just so not hipster that I was talking about oh, this mainstream thing. And I was I was just I, I was like I'm trying to share a very deep moment with you. So please, audience member, please don't don't do that to me. Um, I want to talk about mindfulness meditation mm-hmm. uh, and the value of it. Uh, to me personally, and I think the, the, the value that well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna focus too much on myself here. But I want to hear about um, your experience with uh, with it, so that we can
2: have I think that's some very context. relevant. Please, yeah.
0: All All right. Okay, okay. So I, um, as an engineer, it was um, it was a four year study in emotion suppression. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, so I, I a bit lately discovered um, the the idea of not really very much of a Western practice, not until quite recently, to be investigating your own mind in a, a non-religious context. So that that was what mindfulness meditation represented to me first.
2: Yeah, and Is, so, and you say so you attempted, you, you, or recently yes. you've been attempting to investigate or or observe your own your own thought patterns. Is that
0: yeah. At first it was completely terrifying. I don't know how much time you guys have spent in silence in your own head, but it can, I think for a lot of us um, more scientifically inclined types, who tend to try to distract ourselves until we die, um, I think that it's something we're not familiar with, trying to feel safe in your own head, Hmm. apart from distractions. So for me it began with putting my phone on airplane mode. You know, you turn out the lights, you sit. At first, I tried laying down, but then I fell asleep. And then, you know, <laughs> and you're not meditating. Um, so, and you and you really, it's not like a, you're not doing like a yogi thing where you're where you're just repeating "om" over and over. Um, you really just try and focus on your breathing and try to not follow chains of thought. Um, there, there's there's much better. guidance yeah. And I've so offering.
2: Patrick, have you have you ever tried mindfulness, or have you never?
0: Not, not in the sense that uh, Jake
1: is.
2: Yeah. But I think meditation uh, is part of, part of some Catholic practices, is it, is right, it not? Yeah,
1: and, and, you know, um, Jake, you've mentioned a, a little bit about your views about religion before. And I don't think you realize that I'm a practicing Catholic. And I don't hold those against you at all because, I mean, it should be obvious that I don't because I'm friends with PJ. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I, I like most about me and PJ's friendship is our acceptance of each other despite our radically different viewpoints, certain things. But so in, in the Catholic world, there's this thing called adoration where you go to a very silent chapel and the uh, Eucharist, the host, is exposed. And it's almost like a meditative practice. You do prayers there and usually when I go, after my prayers, I'll just sit in silence. It's more of a reflective period where well, it's not necessarily I'm talking to, uh, to God necessarily, but reflecting on my own life. And I haven't done it in a while, I, I have to say, but when I was doing it regularly, it was very helpful to just sit in silence for 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and reflect on my day, my experiences. And it was a very relaxing um, moment yeah. Whenever I would do that, so uh, to an extent, I experienced something similar to what you're describing, Jake. Yeah,
2: I think that like there there is benefit in just having a moment of silence for yourself. So that that alone is is beneficial. But I think mindfulness meditation for those who are attempting to do it is is a different sort of mental exercise in that it attempts to uh, do a meta analysis of one's own thoughts. Like that's that's the whole pr- premise behind mindfulness is that. You're thinking about something, and then you notice you're thinking about it. You go from having a thought process to a meta-thought process, where you're realizing that you're thinking about X. And then you go back, you say, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about X, and instead I'm going to think about, you know, my breath. Traditionally, it's the the breath or something else.
0: Analysis is the wrong word. Maybe meta-observation. Yeah, yeah, observation may be better, Yeah. Analysis is going a bit too far. Really. Yeah, because
2: you don't want to analyze anything, right? You want to just maintain yeah. just a concentration on your breath. And so I think a lot of people, when they first start out mindfulness meditation, they think uh, that they're doing it wrong because they keep noticing themselves going down these thought thought train paths. And then they're like, crap, I I can't maintain uh, emptiness of my mind. I can't stay focused on my breath. I keep thinking about something else. Uh, but actually, that's that's not a bad thing. In fact, noticing, just noticing that your thoughts are wandering is the is the entire practice of mindfulness meditation. And as the more often that you can train your mind to notice its own behavior, the more often that you can reap the benefits of mindfulness meditation because the idea is that you can step back every day, all the time, using mindfulness and say, oh, like I'm having an emotional reaction to something someone said. What is that that's happening in my brain? Am I am I doing a rational uh, thing right now? Or am I, am I doing something which makes sense? So the more you train yourself to think about what your, what your brain is doing, the more you're able to control your own emotions and control your own reactions to things. So I think that's, for me at least, that's the benefit of mindfulness meditation. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that.
0: Yeah. So that is a context where it vaguely links to prayer. And I will also mention, Patrick, I have a religious background, but I've not, I'm no longer religious, so I I was uh, I was raised uh, a Lutheran, so um, it, it's uh, the more for our listener, um, it's the more traditional of the Protestant. Patrick is so familiar uh, with Lutheranism; it's not even correct. it's not even it, funny. My, my father oh,
2: really?
1: is a Luth- Lutheran. My dad's out okay. of the family.
0: I, I have that background, so I'm familiar with a few of those aspects. Although I've never been a Catholic, so that's where it relates to prayer in some respect because you are. Um, at least having uh, some observation of your own thoughts. In your case, Patrick, you couched it as evaluation of, of your day maybe or your week or something like that, which is, like I mentioned to PJ when he was talking, um, a bit further than mindfulness meditation seeks to go, but still that's in the same vein. But then the next step, at least as I see it, is to apply that meta-awareness Outside of the dark, quiet room, it, you apply that in everyday life. Oh, right, right, right. Like, right. like outside of the chapel in this case, or outside right, of the, the
2: bedroom. Yeah,
0: yeah, I follow. I mean, in everyday life. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, outside of that special place, you, when you feel some rush of emotion, especially negative emotion, um, which is most easy to notice as far as I've, as far as I've seen, um, you put the energy into taking notice of what's happening in your mind and you uh let yourself dwell in that feeling for a little while and i don't mean mope you know in in some respects i mean yeah just notice it you let yourself feel that emotion and observe what it's doing to your thought processes um that's to me is the next step of Using this meditation yeah. tactic, and it's helped me uh, quite a bit. You know, this. So, so you would uh,
1: you would encourage people to practice this? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You've had positive experiences
0: doing this. Well, positive is maybe not the right term. Um, uh, enlightening, yes, uh, very helpful experiences. But a lot of times, yeah, it's 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 kind of and a bit difficult. But um, it's always been worth it in the end for me. Yeah. I, I think it's weird
2: how we use this terminology. I think there's a whole terminology and, ver- and verbiage that's built around mindfulness meditation that pe- people people who, who practice it use. And it's allowed us to, dis- to describe the, the, the feeling of like self-observation, the observation of one own, one's own thoughts. But it also puts it in like a new costume. So it makes it seem like it's something nobody's ever seen before. But I think in, in, in actuality, most people have have practiced this unwittingly and to
0: some degree yeah. or another in their own lives i think it's something that well in the experiences it feels very it feels very genuine that's the strongest way that it it occurs to me is um it, it's not this outside experience it's not like watching um a lord of the rings film where you're carried away into some universe it it feels like a a, a more well, a more real experience. That was the best word, really. Yeah. Patrick, do you have any notes you want to add to that? Or...
1: No, I would agree with your uh, sentiment that most people have practice this themselves. Like, for me, it was, you know, in that chapel. Um, for other, maybe people that practice yoga, it's, you know, when they do yoga, or maybe for runners, maybe if they run without headphones, and that's just their time on their own, mm-hmm. kind of think and reflect. Yeah, um, um... I think if we see when someone says mindfulness, people – you know, in the states, might say, "Oh, that's just some eastern." What's the some non-political correct term for it? Yeah, but um, it's but also I think most people, have, in some sense, practice it without realizing.
2: I think also like when like the people who really practice ma- mindfulness meditation, like people who build their lives around it, people who take long, uh, you know, meditation retreats for days, weeks, months at a time. Those people, I think, are practicing a different sort of men- mindfulness meditation. Which is more de- more deep and more uh, more introspective and I think that their their brains are working in different ways than most people's. So I, I think that we're probably talking about uh, mindfulness that sort of grazes the surface of what other people who are real practitioners of mindfulness meditation do. And also I think it's worth noting that you know the canon right now uh, in in psychology and in psychiatry is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT you probably heard of it at this point, one of the most important as aspects of CBT is, is mindfulness meditation. So now this is being prescribed by psychiatrists as a, as a method by which to, by which people can uh, treat themselves. So it's, it's, I think it's worth noting that this isn't, it's not Eastern anymore. You know, this has become uh, scientifically studied and, and well,
1: and not that saying that it's Eastern be a
2: knock on it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But sometimes it should, you know, those people over there, they're using rhino horns for shit. It makes me angry. Uh, yeah, DJ. I'm just saying that not everything from the east works. So maybe you you can knock them a not little everything
1: bit from the west. Works.
2: Ah, well, everything pretty much works over here. Yep, everything uh, checks out. Yep, <laughs> we got we have aspirin. We got acetaminophen Okay, Jake, would you would you wanna set
0: yeah, up the whole 20th century?
1: <laughs> colonialism was
2: you know. Yeah, colonialism. <laughs> it was great. We were very generous to all the people who we colonized. Uh, Every medicine that we've made, like thalidomide, um mercury was great. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, <laughs>
1: no, no birth defects hey, hey, ever. Want, want to want to close this conversation out since this was your uh, your topic. Uh,
0: no, I I like where it's uh, where it's landed. Where... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the rhino horns. That's a, that's even worse. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe I'll cut that
2: bad. out. Don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're thanks. not as bad as the chickens. Yeah, I said that as a as a as a talking point. I don't actually feel that strongly about it. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Are there any uh, social experiments we want to try for our next
0: oh um, oh
2: yeah
1: episode? Remember that was almost a thing, PJ.
2: I think we should try something this week, uh, and maybe this is something that is too subtle. Let me know if you think this is too subtle. But you know, whenever I interact with people every day. Yeah, it's the store or, you know, wherever. I usually say, thank you very much, when I want to thank them. Mm -hmm. But I think this week, maybe we should all try saying, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) 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 Just use use so,
2: instead of very.
1: Put an inflection.
2: Yeah, and just like, yeah, a little inflection, down to up inflection. What do you think about that, Jake? and then
0: Ugh. and then <laughs> every, every, time you, every time you suggest something like this I'm just like that sounds like a bad youtube video yeah but then we'll talk about what what uh
2: what the effects of this subtle change to our language patterns had and that that could be a fun topic conversation next week what do you think when about you that? say
0: this week do you mean this week or until june With the next time we have yeah a podcast? yeah
2: june 3rd i think is the next podcast date so can uh,
0: have it written down
2: i'm i'm joking we're actually gonna try next week hopefully we'll get it done That's sweet uh if you would like to download this podcast you can do so on soundcloud or even on itunes uh please be sure to follow us on twitter also you can go to our website www.offdayspodcast.com uh once again i'm your host pj joined by patrick and jake uh we're Absolutely thrilled to have you join us this week and in uh, future episodes. So, thanks again, and uh, Patrick, why don't you remind our uh, our listeners what they have to do? Till next time, have a good.
1: You say, you, PJ, you would say it's so smooth,
2: though. Uh, I, I would always say, until next time. Until
1: next time. Th- there we go.
2: Yeah. Over the course well, of... Um,
1: can you give me one one moment?
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Take your time.
1: I need a urinate.
0: So. Oh, yeah. No, please do urinate. I'll edit this okay. out. Thank you. Um, it, interestingly, uh, I read somewhere that a moment used to be an actual unit of time lasting 90 seconds. Well, really? That was a moment? Yeah, I, I've never researched that on the internet, so I don't know if that's actually true. That's interesting, i would never heard of that. It, let, me, let me look it up real quick. Oh my gosh, life is so dramatic. And it's, <laughs> oh gosh, that was rude. Kate, cut that out, okay. <laughs> no, I will,
2: uh, don't worry about it. But,